Hello, and welcome to the Strengthening the Soul of Your Leadership podcast. I'm Ruth Haley Barton, and here again we find ourselves starting a new year in our church calendar with the season of Advent. This year, the theme of our Advent reflections is Come, Lord Jesus, Come, walking through the Advent season together. And so we want to do just that with you, our podcast listeners. Each week during this Advent season, a few members of our staff here at the Transforming Center will gather and we'll read the scriptures for that week from the Revised Common Lectionary for Cycle C. I'll share some thoughts about what these scriptures are stirring up in me right now, and then we'll have an open and honest conversation around those themes. We'll conclude each episode with the reading of a poem that will carry us even more deeply into the theme for that week and provide needed support. These episodes will release on Monday each week so we can all read into the next Sunday scriptures together. And now, please enjoy this week's conversation. Well, welcome, friends, to the third Sunday of Advent, and we are reading into the third Sunday today. And in a moment, we will read our scriptures together like we usually do, but we're gathered here as a staff, again, gathered around our altar, gathered around a lit candle. And since this is the third week, I thought we might start by just sharing a little bit about what's happening for us in our Advent journey, if there's anything that's happening that we might want to mention. I know I've had just a delightful little gift in the midst of Advent already, and that is that as I engaged the practice of waiting for the light in the morning, that God actually brought me the little phrase from Psalm 25, and God brought it as a breath prayer, and it works really well as a breath prayer. And in our communities, we talk about a breath prayer in our third retreat, I think it is. And that's a prayer that comes up from the gut, but we actually then connect that prayer with our breath, and then it happens very naturally. We don't have to think our way into it. And so that first phrase from Psalm 25, to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. And so on the inhale, to you, O Lord, and then on the exhale, do I lift up my soul. And it came naturally and from down low and down deep. And now in the mornings, that little phrase is just praying itself in me, uh, to you, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. And so the whole time that I'm sitting there waiting for the light, that prayer just prays itself. And I just experience myself lifting my soul to God for whatever God wants to bring. So that's been a sweet gift that God's given me that's been surprising. I didn't plan it or think my way into it, but God gave it. So that's a little thing that's happening in my own Advent journey. And I'm wondering if anyone else has noticed uh, anything that's happening in your Advent journey. Well, I had uh, a, a, a situation that just reminded me of waiting. Um, uh, I'm As an elder in my church, I'm dealing with a particularly difficult issue and I was expressing to my wife that I didn't know what to do, and I felt like I needed to do something and take action. And my wife said to me, don't do anything. And my mm. wife is a very take-charge mm-hmm. person, and she said, don't do anything. Let God do the work. Mm. And I instantly heard God's voice in her voice because of thinking about waiting and it was really hard to wait, I have to say. It was really hard to wait. But yet I knew deep in my soul that that is what the invitation was, is to mm-hmm. not do anything but wait. Mm-hmm. And so it was just a really powerful 
example of what waiting means, right? Because it, it felt terrible at the time. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't feel, I, I wasn't sure whether waiting was the right thing to do, though in the end I realized so how fully that was the right thing, that I didn't need to act, that I mm. needed just to let God do what God can do and not me. Wow. So Beautiful. One of the big takeaways that I had from our conversation last week was about asking God about the one thing that he can speak into. And I've just been listening and I get a little nervous when I pray this prayer because God is often faithful to answer. And and that can be a little painful, particularly when... You know, I know it's not up to me to fix myself, but that's what I'm asking him to reveal. And so it's just interesting that I'm a, I'm also a take control person, like you mentioned, and want to identify the thing and work on the plan. And yet I am in this waiting and, and listening and, um, and that darkness that God is in with me. That's just the season the part of Advent that I'm in with him right now. I too have been waiting for the light in the morning and I have to admit that I've been a little disappointed (laughs) because my memory of past times of doing this, there has been like a real beauty in it. Like Mm -hmm. I can see the sky changing. It has really wonderful colors. You can sometimes even see the point at which the sun is then visible and you can watch it rise. And It hasn't been that at all. It's been this, I don't know if it's the room I'm sitting in or the time of year or the clouds or whatever, but it's, um, there isn't any color and there isn't any Mm. actual sun. It's just that the light just gradually comes and then all of a sudden it's light. And I'm realizing that there's something about me that wants it to be more spectacular than that. (laughs) And... I'm listening to the ways in which that also rings true for some of the other places in my life where the light might be coming in more subtle ways and it might be happening really gradually. And it doesn't mean that it's not coming. Mm -hmm. It just means that it's not all that I had made it up in my mind that it might be. So I, I don't want to uh, out your Enneagram number, but that sounds very much like the right thing for your Enneagram number. <laughs> so it's, it's very precious. <laughs> well, thank you all. It's just nice to connect and to know that something's happening within each one of us and that God is leading us along. So as is our practice, we are going to read the four different scriptures for this week, the third week of Advent, and we're going to have our different uh, voices from our staff read. And let me just encourage you as you listen to these scriptures read to just let the words wash over you and um, in like Lexio Divina fashion that you just hear the word that comes to you as louder or more distinct or a word that corresponds to something in your life right now that you know you really need. And we're going to give try to give a little bit more space after each reading so that you can kind of hear the word and claim the word that you've heard in that reading before we jump into the next reading, um, both for ourselves and for those of you who are listening. So let us begin. Zephaniah three, fourteen through 20. Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel. 
Rejoice and exult with all of your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has turned away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall fear disaster no more. On that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Do not fear, O Zion. Do not let your hands grow weak. The Lord, your God, is in your midst, a warrior who gives victory. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will renew you with his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. As on a day of festival, I will remove disaster from you, so that you will not bear reproach for it. I will deal with all of your oppressors at that time, and I will save the lame and gather the outcast, and I will change their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. At that time I will bring you home, at the time when I gather you, for I will make you renowned and praised among all the peoples of the earth, when I restore your fortunes before your eyes, says the Lord. Isaiah 12, 2-6 Surely God is my salvation. I will trust and I will not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and my might. He has become my salvation. With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. And you will say in that day, Give thanks to the Lord. Call on his name. Make known his deeds among the nations. Proclaim that his name is exalted. Sing praises to the Lord, for he has done gloriously. Let this be known in all the earth. Shout aloud and sing for joy, O royal Zion, for great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. Philippians 4, 4-7 through seven. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Do not worry about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Luke 3, 7 through 18. John said to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits worthy of repentance. Do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our ancestor. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. Even now the axe is lying at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds asked him, What then should we do? In reply he said to them, Whoever has two coats must share with anyone who has none, and whoever has food must do likewise. Even tax collectors came to be baptized, and they asked him, Teacher, what should we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than the amount prescribed for you. Soldiers also asked him, And we, what should we do? And he said to them, Do not exhort money from anyone by threats or false accusation, and be satisfied with your wages. 
as the people were filled with expectation, and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Messiah. John answered all of them by saying, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I is coming. I am not worthy to untie the thong of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is at hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his granary. But the chaff he will burn with the unquenchable fire. So with many other exhortations he proclaimed the good news to the people. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be be to to God. God. We're going to start today by looking at the Luke passage because we talked about John the Baptist last week and talked about the preparation of the messenger and the preparation of the message. And now today we're getting this message from John the Baptist. And um, when I read this passage, I know this is going to sound funny because it's a very weighty passage, but I always giggle and laugh and find some humor in it because this guy was on a rant. I mean, you know, John the Baptist was literally on a rant and um, in our seeker-sensitive days, you know, when we're all trying to preach tolerance and all that, there could be no way somebody could get away with giving a message like this. I mean, to start a message by calling your listeners a brood of vipers, I mean, it just makes me laugh. I just think it's in some ways very humorous, and it gets even more humorous when we see that the people actually loved it, you know, because if you did that today, you would be considered very intolerant and not seeker-sensitive or seeker-relevant or seeker-anything, um, and people would just dismiss you right away. But in this passage, John the Baptist is able to go on this rant, and he actually starts in a very challenging way, and it doesn't get a whole lot better throughout. It's very, very challenging, and it's very different than what we would experience today in any kind of a setting that we are in. Um, And so I find that to be very interesting in our culture, and yet John's message in some way holds hope for them. That's the other thing that's so interesting to me is that even though he's ranting and raving and calling his listeners a brood of vipers, they actually feel very hopeful. They're very excited about his message and they start asking him, well, what can we do? What can we do? What can we do? And so there's something about the message and the way he's offering it that's really effective. So it always starts out a little bit humorous for me, but today I thought we could talk a little bit about this idea of repentance. Of course, there's so much in these passages and Yet I want to talk a little bit about the nature of repentance, and I want to talk about it in a little bit of a different way than we often talk about it. As we know, the word repentance is the, is the translation, the English translation of the Greek word metanoia. And metanoia is a beautiful word in the New Testament because it means a transformational change of heart. It means a, a deep spiritual conversion. It's a decision to turn around, to face a new direction. And you could even say it's a change of mind. But in the New Testament, it's not just a change of your intellect. It's also a change of all the, you know, the habits and patterns and ways of thinking and the, the, the deeply held patterns out of which our behaviors flow. And so repentance or metanoia is a very, very rich word. 
And again, we can think about sin and there are sins to talk about, but that's not what I want to talk about today. I want to think a little bit more about this idea of a changing of the mind and a changing of the heart or changing our direction and facing in a new direction and maybe even facing towards the light versus facing towards the darkness. And I was reminded of a time 10 or 11 or 12 years ago when I was asked to contribute to a project and the title of the book was going to be How I Changed My Mind About Women in Leadership. This was a long time ago, and I, um, I was pretty done with that topic by then. I didn't want to, you know, really mess with that topic anymore. It was a place that I had done my work on that a number of years before, and I was sort of done and ready to move on. But it was Dr. Alan Johnson who asked, who was putting this, this whole project together, and when he described what he was doing, that he wanted to have people's stories, that he wanted people to share their journey uh, and all the aspects of their change on this one particular topic. I was kind of riveted by that because I thought, well, now that has value to hear from somebody else how they changed and how they turned and how they set a new direction. Uh, I thought that is really, really worthy. And of course, you don't argue with someone's story. Stories are just meant to be told and they're meant to be heard. And what someone's experience is, is what it is. And they're not trying to convince you of anything. You're not, you know, going to try to disagree with them necessarily because their story is their story. And change in particular, real change and transformation, real spiritual conversion, if you want to call it that way, is it's always a journey and it's always a process. And it involves the mind, yes, but involves the heart. It might involve relationships. It might involve some experiences that God brings into your mind or into your life that actually change you from the inside out. And so I've always been riveted by this way of looking at repentance. And I want to look at it that way today. Uh, this idea of repentance um, as being a turning from sin, yes, that's, that's part of what it is. But I think there's more to it than that. I think it has to do with this willingness to change our hearts and our minds and to face new directions and to be on a journey of conversion. I no longer think that salvation is just a moment in time. Our journey is actually oftentimes more longer term than that. It's something that God brings about in some surprising way that we couldn't have brought about for ourselves. And so I want to talk today just a little bit about the journey of change, the journey of transformation, and also this need that we have, I think, in our life and in our world and in our cultures right now to, to allow ourselves to be impacted by what's happening around us. And not only is there a place of sin in my life that I need to turn from, but is there any place where God is inviting me to change my mind and my orientation and my inner way of being that affects how I am in the world? And can we look at repentance as being more about the journey of conversion versus just a moment of salvation, you know, when we have this moment of turning? And I think that Protestant Christians in particular are really big about the, the conversion moment, right? We make a big deal about this moment when we ask Jesus into our heart. When we see ourselves as sinners, we ask Jesus into our hearts and we trust Jesus for salvation. But I think those, have been on, who, uh, those of us who have been on the path for a while, we know that there are aspects of change and conversion and repentance that are much more of a process than that. Do you agree with me when I say that? Mm -hmm. And I wanted to talk about that today a little bit. How have you experienced change and conversion and transformation more as a journey than as a moment? And is there any way in which we've got this little niggling awareness that 
that God is leading us into some change, that God has got us on a transformational journey, a path of conversion versus just a moment of repentance and then salvation. Do those ideas, thinking about repentance as being this metanoia, this experience of a deep spiritual conversion, does that resonate with us? And what's that been like uh, for each one of us? Where do we find ourselves on that kind of a journey right now? I don't know if this is exactly what you're talking about, but as you were speaking, it reminded me of a way in which I've been looking over my life so far to better understand the journey that I've been on. There's been some particular pain places and relationships that have made me wonder, when did this happen? And as I'm looking over it, I can see that there wasn't just one point in time, that it's kind of been something that has happened as a result of two different kinds of journeys. And I think, at least as I see it so far, the theme has been an idea of a journey of learning how to welcome the stranger, mm-hmm. how to see when I have become really comfortable and don't know what to do with things that are strange to me, then being in proximity to things or people that feel strange to me, learning what to do with the things that that stirs up, dealing with those in relationships and in groups and in myself and with God, and then seeing how that then pulls me further into the journey and how there's been so many different places of that, probably going back to when I went to college. Mm-hmm. That, the, that was the first time where I had to really seek God in some strangeness of things that I was experiencing and relationships that I had and, and understanding that I can find God in those moments was something that I'm thankful to have learned early on, to see God in others, to experience those, those kinds of encounters as an invitation has profoundly changed mm-hmm. my journey and routinely brought me into a posture of repentance for what I don't know, what mm-hmm. I thought I did know, the places in which I experienced the limitations of my own experience. Mm-hmm. And the rigidity, yes. you know, I'm, I, like I think for me, rigidity is something that that I have repented of over time. You know, times when I held what I believed with rigidity versus a willingness to experience conversion, you know, to be on a journey of conversion and change and changing my mind. And it just, I think the one of the reasons I'm drawn to this theme is because it does feel like people have gotten more rigid in their views lately and that we're just holding really hard versus being able to be open to a journey of change, a journey of conversion, of thinking differently, of having our minds changed. And I just wonder where and who we would be if we could let go of some of the rigidity and be willing to engage this journey that John is talking about, you know, the, the journey of repentance. Yeah, that is really interesting because I have recently been in some situations with older Christians, and, and, and we talk about this, we live in times where people are becoming more rigid, and their behaviors and some of their actions have been 
so unkind. Mm. And I, I have I have struggled with the, the with that very idea of how do I how do I bring welcome those people to the idea that they could change or, mm-hmm. um, you know, and it, it's very interesting in light of this passage, right? Because I've wanted to be like John the Baptist in a couple situations. <laughs> 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 and because I'm, I'm just so frustrated that, you know, our culture or, or our, our Christian culture sometimes says, these are mature Christians. And yet, some of the behaviors have been so rigid and unfriendly. And I, you know, I was telling my spiritual director recently that, you know, I don't know what to do with that. And he said, you need to be a welcoming presence, right? And that that resonated with me. Uh, though I do struggle with going, when is it time we say you're a brood when of vipers? When do we get to call people a brood of vipers, right? <laughs> right. And, uh, you know, how to, but... I think sometimes we don't believe, I think our Christian culture doesn't believe we can change. Mm-hmm. And we accept that in the church. And I, I, I'm grieving that. And, and don't, I don't want to accept that anymore. But I, yet, I, at the same time, I don't know how to introduce people or to make space that, that it could be, other than you know, really trying to figure out, how do, I, how do I invite people to say, do we really believe that God can change us and what's going on in your life that, you know, what evidence do you have in your life for that? Or I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure, but I don't even know if I'm going in the right direction, but it it does resonate that idea of repentance being on a journey of change Mm -hmm. more than a salvation moment or such. Mm. The other thing about John's message is that there were such concrete actions associated with the journey of repentance. Like, like these people were very, very open, even though his message was so harsh, they were somehow stirred with hope. And they said, what can we do? We want to get on this journey of change. So tell us exactly what we can do. And so he had really specific instructions for people who are in many different walks of life, you know? If you're a public servant, then be honest and fair. If you're someone who has wealth and material affluence, then share what you have. You know that there were these very practical outworkings of, of the repentance journey. And so the question, well, what then shall we do in response to this message is also very inspiring and the openness and the humility of a question like that to say, well, what can I do then? What can I do to be on this path? I want to be on the path. What should I do? And then John's able to get very concrete with them about what they can do to be on this this journey, this path of change. Um, so it, it's, it's a strange passage because it's very harsh by our own standards, and yet at the same time, it's also got this, this hopefulness in it that people felt actually hopeful that yeah. they could that they could change. But it, it, it just must be that that it wasn't John saying those things, right? That they recognized God's voice in what mm-hmm. he was saying and his presence. Yeah. Uh, or that it wasn't him, you know, calling the shots, right? I mean, yeah. I, it's Can you imagine if he had had a speaking coach or something? And, they <laughs> and he would have said, well, you know, you could tone it down here just a little bit. <laughs> 
but yet they responded and it yeah. makes uh, I, I right. agree with you it makes you laugh at, at it some does. level but then you go but yet they responded mm-hmm. right that that there's something else going on there's not a big gap it's yeah. it's how he brought it right there's a um a, a column that i love in the christian century that's also about how i changed my mind and um so every in every issue they'll you know for the last number of, of weeks or months they've had articles from people explaining uh, how my mind has changed and in the article this week, uh, the writer talks about this very process of change and even identifies the willingness to have one's mind changed as being a Christian discipline, you know, and that God changed God's mind in Exodus 32, that even God changed God's mind over time, and that we as Christians could see this willingness to change and to have our minds changed as a, as a Christian habit, you know, that we're open and willing to have our minds changed versus seeing this rigidity and this inability to change and this inability to open to new ideas and new cha- new things, seeing that as being what we are as Christians to say, no, it's actually a Christian practice, a Christian habit to open to having our minds changed. And I love that idea because I think it's very hopeful. And I think if Christians could gather with some sort of willingness to have our minds changed, it could, it could have a, a rippling effect that would be very powerful for us. And not just to have our minds changed, but to be willing to even go back mm-hmm. and revisit some things mm-hmm. when that is called for. I'm One of the things that has been stirring me for a while, and the fact that it came up in this conversation, which I wasn't expecting, means I think that I really do need to go and do it, is to actually go back and mm-hmm. to confess and apologize even to a professor back when I was in college about some things that where I some places where I was pressed and where some of it makes sense about how I responded and the rest of it was just that I I didn't learn enough yet mm-hmm. and now when I look back on it I'm regretful of how that interaction went and there's this part of me that's like I don't even think that he cares now but maybe maybe he would maybe it would matter for me to reach out and send an email and just say mm-hmm. a lot has happened since then and I experienced this journey of change and um and i just want to apologize mm-hmm. even for what that is it just it's interesting how i think that if you're open to it the journey and the changing that even the repentance might be a very natural thing that just becomes part of it yeah. you know like of course we would have to go back and apologize yeah. <laughs> of course we wouldn't have known all the things then yeah. of course of course things are still evolving and we're understanding differently and i wish that even some of those things could be applied to the things that we're facing today that there would be an ability to say, of course, we can see that differently now. And what do we need to do to go back and revisit what needs to be confessed, what needs to be repented of? Mm-hmm. Well, the one thing that I've been doing is I'm still working on the last podcast, <laughs> 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 uh, but I'm on the last chapter, mm-hmm. the most excellent way. And so when I think about for myself, in the transformation journey, it has been about, is it better to be right or is it better to be loving? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So some of what we see, I'm going to get tearful because, mm-hmm. but that's been a strong mm-hmm. uh, thing in my life probably the last year or two, and it's been very good. Mm-hmm. And so when I think about that, I'd much rather be loving. Mm-hmm. 
Um, I used to much rather be right. <laughs> There's your transformation right there. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good, right? That is wonderful. So, that just this conversation kind of yeah. brought that to mind. Sometimes when we feel our resistance to change at all, our resistance to changing our minds, or our hearts or being open, even just being able to sit in a conversation and be open versus defended. There are just some really fruitful questions. And one of them is, you know, what am I afraid of in this moment as I resist? Because a lot of times resistance to change, resistance to the welcoming presence, um, resisting to opening to new ways of thinking and being bring up some of these primal experiences that we have. And so to even be willing to ask ourselves, what am I afraid of if I were to open my mind in this way? What am I afraid of if I were to open myself to this person and their, you know, their, their thoughts or their experience or whatever? Um, what am I defending? You know, what am I defending against inside? I mean, there, there's some internal work that this requires to be able to be, you know, present in these ways, willing to be open and willing to change. And so I'm just really hearing this as a pretty relevant call to us right now um, in our world and in our Christian community, especially when Christians are right now known so much for, you know, being unloving and rigid and things like that. Wow, if people experienced us to be on this journey of repentance and conversion and, like you said, being willing to even look back and say, wow. That, that 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 person that I was back then that's not who I'm in now who I am now and I'm I want to like make that right you know yeah I want to build the bridge um, I think there's there's a very hopeful possibility here and which is why the crowd's hopeful is that they know something's all messed up you know and so they're like help help me to know a practical way that I could take steps forward and there is a lot of hope and there's this juxtaposition in these passages of of John's harsh and demanding and challenging message but in some of the other passages, there's a lot of hope represented. I don't know if you recognize that juxtaposition as we were reading, but um, there is a theme of also of rejoicing and finding peace and experiencing God as our salvation that is present here too in the midst or juxtaposed with this somewhat harsh message from, from John the Baptist. So I wonder um, what gives us a sense of hope even as we think about these things. Where are we finding little bits of hope as we hear the message of repentance that John has for us today? Uh, when I was reading the Isaiah 12 passage, the very last phrase spoke to me, uh, for great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. And I just thought, great in my midst is the Holy One of Israel great in my family's midst mm -hmm. um, we have some stuff happening there and great you know great at work great in the midst of work so that's that's my hope mm -hmm. that's hope is that yeah. in the midst of the challenges God is still with us mm -hmm. he is right in our midst yeah I think um I, I am not hopeless by any means, but uh, I saw a tweet from someone, and I wish I could remember who, but you know, uh, saying "Don't make Advent trite," mm -hmm. and he said, you know, that they had to wait hundreds of years of silence and, and be an oppression, and so I have a deeper hope 
it doesn't feel as close, um, you know, as nearby, but I, I have a, a deeper hope that, ho- that holds me. So I can, I, I love the, the messaging of hope and treasure it, but I, I often don't see it in the daily. Uh, I don't have much, sometimes not hatch hope in the current situations and stuff. Thank you for saying that, because I was sitting here thinking, do I not have any hope? And I think that it is more of that, uh-huh. that I think that it is going to be dark for a while. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just, not going to all be solved in Advent this no, year. Yeah. Yes. No. No. So, we just say that. <laughs> right. Darn it. Dude. Um, <laughs> we're even encountering that in the little group of friends that's gathering for Advent, how to even, we, we had a conversation about how we were going to approach this topic of hope, and we had that same conversation. It's not this, like, glittery kind of hope that is marketed this yeah. time of year. Yeah. And um, so anyways, thank you for saying that because I think that I will cling to that way of thinking about it, which allows me to still be very real about what's happening right? and also not feel like that means I don't have faith because I do have faith and I, I do believe that I have a deeper hope. It's just different. Yeah, it's a different hope. I, I do think it is. It has to be if it's real, if, if you're really present with what we face in the broader evangelical or Christian culture in America. The idea for me of human beings gathering and sitting and talking and being with each other in this posture of being open to change, being open to having our minds and our hearts and our patterns changed, being open to the process of conversion by being in relationship with each other even, you know, that I do feel hope when I let myself envision that. But it's, it's, it's not what we're all used to. Our, we're, we're so polarized in every way right now, it's kind of hard to imagine. But when it happens in little places and in little pockets, it's very, very hopeful. And you just think, man, if that could just be multiplied in conversation after conversation, relationship after relationship, that, that, that there is there is hope in that and we we can participate but we have to keep showing up right we have to keep showing up <laughs> with our willingness so may God make it so so I know that these scriptures today are very deep and very rich and we only read them through once and there's so much in them so if you would like to hear these scriptures read over you in Lexio Divina fashion we're going to be doing that over on Patreon And just as a reminder, the Lexio Divina process is a process of reading scripture where we do it slowly and meditatively. Uh, We read the scriptures multiple times, and each time we listen for a different question or a different aspect of reflection. And so um, if you are just longing to have the scriptures read over you without comment so that you can hear what God has to say to you this season, then go on over to Patreon, and our $10 a month patrons will be able to receive that Lexio uh, reading. As we conclude today, I'd like to conclude as we've been doing with a poem. And today I just want to use one of our favorites here in the Transforming Center from our dear pastor, Ted Loader. His prayer, Let Something Essential Happen to Me, just really resonated with me today in response to the scriptures, in response to this way of looking at the idea of repentance. 
because I think it brings about this longing for something to happen deep down inside, not just superficial behaviors and actions, but to have a change that happens deep inside and then emerges in behaviors that are more loving and more appropriate and more um, open and willing uh, to participate in the human experience in our own spiritual journeys in a more open and receptive way. So if you have the ability to open up by putting your feet flat on the floor, opening your hands, noticing any place of tension or tightness in your body and breathing into that space as a way of loosening up the tension and just expressing how open and receptive you are to God in this third week of Advent. We are deep in the journey now. John's message of repentance is very, very deep and very challenging. And yet there is this hope that we as individuals might change, that our relationships might change, and eventually maybe even our world could change. So let's listen to this poem, this prayer from Pastor Ted Loder. Oh God, let something essential happen to me. Something more than interesting or entertaining or thoughtful. Oh God, let something essential happen to me, something awesome, something real. Speak to my condition, Lord, and change me somewhere inside where it matters. A change that will burn and tremble and heal and explode me into tears or laughter or love that throbs or screams or keeps a terrible cleansing silence and dares the dangerous deeds. Let something happen in me, which is my real self, my best self, my transforming self. Oh God, let something essential happen in me. Amen.